Well, good evening. It's a pleasure to be here again. It's uh, hard to believe that it's already been a week since we were gathered together last uh, Lord's Day evening. Um, so before I get started, uh, why don't we open <clears throat> in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we are grateful uh, for this time of worship. Thank you for giving us the time and the ability to open your word together and to hear more about your holy name. <clears throat> your name, which is to be hallowed by us, your people. Pray, God, that um, all the words that are spoken tonight would reflect only your truth. And, God, I pray that, um, that the truth that is spoken would reside deep in our hearts and that we would uh, be changed by it this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this past week I had the pleasure of being at the Synod of the uh, Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, along with Pastor and Jack and Elder Cox, and um, <clears throat> all of the almost all of the songs that were chosen for worship were were from the Psalter, and uh, it was very inspiring. And it was uh, a reminder of how we used to only sing the Psalms in our prior church, um, and so we're going to sing the Psalms tonight uh, exclusively. So I hope it's a blessing to you and. Uh, and not uh, anything that's painful. It's wonderful to sing God's word back to him. Uh, we know we can't go wrong by doing that. Uh, so very quickly, uh, you recall from last week, I just want to give a brief overview. Last week when we opened the study of the Lord's Prayer, we started by giving some context about the prayer, and then we talked a little bit how, about how the prayer overall is structured uh, and then we focused on the preface of the prayer, which is the first part of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, which says, Our Father, which art in heaven. Uh, and tonight, we're going to finish off the first uh, line of the prayer, if you will, by looking at uh, verse 9b, which simply says, Hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. So, um, in order to dive into this topic, why don't we start by reading the entire text again together. Uh, so if you would, please, if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6, and uh, we'll start in verse 9 as we did uh, last week, and then pick up from there. So Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the conclusion, which is not found in the ESV, is for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so we mentioned last week that the prayer contains these components. The introduction, pray then like this. And we mentioned that the Lord says to Christians, pray in this manner. Here's a template for prayer. Here's a, a pattern for prayer. And then we covered the preface, uh, which is our Father in heaven. And following the preface come six petitions or requests that the believer makes of the Lord. Uh, and then following the petitions, I mentioned just now the conclusion. So we're starting this evening with the first of the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And the six petitions are as follows. The one through three are, are the, these three. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then give us this day our daily bread. 
the last three, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we have the conclusion. But those are the six petitions. And you can see that the six petitions can be divided in a way that is, again, similar to the partitioning of the Ten Commandments. The first three, or at least one way that you can partition the petitions, is to look at the first three in verses 9, 9 and 10. The first three deal with God's greatness. Right? They deal with things that God, that God does, that only God can do. And the, uh, the remaining three in verses 11 to 13... Deal, deal more with our human needs. So there's this natural partitioning of God's greatness in the first three petitions and our needs in the last three petitions. At least that's one way that you can think about how the petitions are broken out. Now, that's not the only way to think about it. Um, John Piper argues, and I kind of argues, and I like this partition a little better in some sense because the first petition... Uh, hallowed be thy name, kind of belongs together with the rest of verse 9. Remember that Jesus said, our Father, and we emphasized last week the importance of the fatherhood of God, the fact that Jesus is our brother and he's calling us to approach God as Abba, Father. Um, and, and then he emphasizes the fact that God is in heaven. So there's this practical part, this loving part, this, this way that we can come to the Father right, with great confidence, but then there's the fact that God is majestic and he's high and he's great and he's above and we're below. And so I think that this last part of nine, uh, verse 9, rather, where, in which he says, hallowed be thy name, sort of goes together in some sense with that preface. Uh, and so it's, it is considered the first petition, but I think in some sense it stands with the preface as kind of glorifying God's name. And so um, John Piper argues that the first petition, in some sense, stands above the other five. And by that, what he means is that the first petition is achieved by the satisfaction of the lower five. So we can't hallow God's name, right, unless we're fighting sin, unless we're dealing with all those things in life. So our human struggle is really where we learn how to hallow God's name. And so that's sort of just a, a little bit of an introduction to how you might think about how these petition, uh, petitions are partitioned or how they break out. It might be easier to just think the first three and then the second three. Uh, and that works for me if it works for you. But I do think that there is something interesting that the Lord has revealed to us in that. So, uh, so a couple of things that I want to mention uh, also about that. Uh, John MacArthur has this really interesting quote. He, he said this about the first petition and the Lord's Prayer in general, he said that um, this first petition sort of protects us against sentimentalism. And by that, he says, quote, too much Abba and not enough hallowing gets us out of balance. Too much Abba and not enough hallowing sort of gets us out of balance in the Christian life. So there's a balance there. There's a tension between God is our Father, God is great, and majestic and way above us. So I think that there's some, some wisdom in that. So this is a reminder that you know, we mustn't forget that God isn't just your pal, <laughs> even though he is your father. So, uh, so this evening, in order to sort of approach that last part of verse 9, we want to address three questions. And 
I hope this is edifying and, and as, as edifying it has, as it has been for me to prepare. The first question we want to answer is this. What is the meaning of the word hallowed? That's a logical starting point. The second question, what do we ask of God in this first petition? And the third question is, how do we hallow God's name in practice? So how do we actually do this in the real world so that this isn't just some theoretical exercise? Okay. So first of all, um, Matthew 6, 9b simply says, hallowed be thy name. Well, God's name, as you know, is extremely important to him, and it should be extremely important to us, because God's name is his character. So to know the names of God, or to know the name of God, is to know the character of God. So his name is terribly important. If you think about the ways in which God has renamed people in the Old Testament, and he takes that very seriously, right? So he renamed Abram, Abraham, because he would become the father of many nations. He renamed Sarai, Sarah. He renames Jacob, Israel. He renames Saul, Paul. And in each of those cases, there's a destiny associated with what those people of God are going to accomplish. And of course, it's their destiny because he's determined it. He's ordained it for them. So he takes the renaming of these saints seriously. So imagine the seriousness with which God declares his own name. I mean, how serious is it when he tells us that his name, for example, is I am, Yahweh. We talked about it this morning in men's Sunday school class. He is the self-existent God. That word comes from the verb to be. God is. There is nothing that he needs to exist. He doesn't depend on anything. He's not created. He was before all and he will be after all. He is called Elohim in the book of Genesis. He's God the creator. He is El, El, El Elyon, the most high God or almighty God. He is El Shalom. God is peace, which we spoke about in our service this morning. There was, there was a lot of overlap, by the way, between what we're talking about this evening and Sunday school and the service today. So I hope that's a, that's a, a blessing to you. He's called Abba, Father. He's called Emmanuel. God is with us, or God with us. He's called Yeshua, from which we get Jesus. God saves. And he's called the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is eternal. Or for my mathematician friends, he goes from minus infinity to infinity. Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. But perhaps the most important name of God is, is Yahweh, and, 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 and they're all important, and they all signify God's character. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, you know this passage well, I assume. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am, he, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God identifies himself with that name. So it's really important for us to know God's names. 
because when we know his names, we know his character, and we know what kind of a God he is. Psalm 9, uh, Psalm 9 verse 10 says this, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Okay. All right. So, bottom line, it's really important for us to know the names of God. And to also understand that God takes his name very seriously. So what does it mean then for something to be hallowed? Because the petition is, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed just simply means sanctified or set apart or holy. So as an adjective. Um, To hallow something means to make it sanctified, to set it apart. For example, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, or hallowed it. He hallowed the Sabbath day. He set it apart. In Leviticus 22, verse 32. uh, The Lord says, and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified or hallowed among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And in John 17, in the the great high priestly prayer of our Lord, speaking about believers, Jesus prays, sanctify them or set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. So to hallow something is to set it apart, to make it holy, to sanctify it. Okay, so what is this first petition about? So what is it that we are asking for in the first petition? Let me start by first telling you what it's not. Uh, That's how I think. I think about what something isn't first, so let's think about the negative and then the positive. So what it's not is it is not a declaration of holiness. There are other places where we see declarations of holiness, right? Like in Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? In Isaiah 6, 3. This is not declaring, it's not a declaration, holy is your name or hallowed is your name. It's not a declaration. Remember, it's a request. It's not declaring something, it's requesting something. So it's, it's not requesting also for God to sanctify or set apart his name because it's already set apart. Does that make sense to you? So God doesn't, we don't have to ask God to sanctify or set apart or to make holy his name because he has already done so. Because it's already true. Does that make sense? So let me give you some passages of scripture that sort of confirm what I just said. In Psalm 8, verse 1, Our Lord, O Lord, or excuse me, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 138, verse 2, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Uh, In Judges 13, you you may remember the story of the angel of the Lord 
uh, coming to Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, and prophesying that, that Manoah's wife would have a child, and this would be Samson. Uh, and, of course, this is a theophany. This is a, an appearance. Well, most people believe that this is an appearance of uh, the pre-incarnate Christ in the form of the angel of the Lord. Uh, and, and after making this prophecy about the birth of Samson, Manoah says to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? Or in, in other translations, it says seeing that it is secret or seeing that it is beyond comprehension. So the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Christ, says, <clears throat> why do you ask my name? You can't fathom it. It's secret. It's beyond comprehension. So he's already elevated his name. His name is already hallowed. Does that make sense? And in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, regarding Jesus, it says that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So it, the petition, hallowed be thy name, is not asking God to sanctify his own name, which is already sanctified. Does that make sense? That's the third time I've asked if it's made sense. So I hope that, hope that everyone has it now. Okay. Now, part of the reason that I'm asking you if that makes sense is because it didn't make sense to me for a number of years. <laughs> And for a long time, when I was a baby Christian, I thought it was exactly that. We're telling God that we acknowledge that he's holy. Like it's a declaration. But that's not what it is. So, uh, so I hope that's clear. All right. <clears throat> so if it's not a declaration, uh, and it's not a request for God to hallow his name, in some sense, then what is it? Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. Who can... Tell me the question and the answer. I know at least one person in the room can. What is the chief end of man? And what's the answer? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Very good. Question 101 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives us a great question and answer. What do we pray for in the first petition? The answer is this. In the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that, in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his glory. So let me try to make that a lot more understandable. The first part is pretty easy to understand. The petition is asking God to enable us, his people, and others to glorify him, or to glorify his name, in every way that he makes himself known. Right. So in every way that we are cognizant of him and what he has revealed, God, please make us able to glorify your name. That's sort of the first part. And the second part that he would dispose all things to his glory. That God would use everything at his disposal for the purpose of his glory. Does that make sense? 
for the purpose of glorifying his name. So it's, in some sense, it's, we're asking, it's that we're asking God to do something that he's already going to do, right? He says, I'm going to glorify my name through you. But we're asking him to do it anyway, right? So <clears throat> there are many things that God is already ordained, has already ordained to do that we still pray and ask him to do. God is going to save people, but we pray for the harvest. He's already planning to save people, but we pray for him to save people anyway. He's going to glorify his name, but we pray for him through us and through others. So does that help clear up the question a little bit? Okay. So, <clears throat> let me give you a couple of passages of scripture that sort of confirm this. In Psalm 67, verses 1 to 3, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Right? So this is the, the cry of the psalmist is, don't, don't just let us praise you. Let everybody praise you. May the whole world praise you. Even those who don't know you, let them praise you. That's what the psalmist is crying out. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul writes, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Okay. All right. So we're asking God to glorify himself in us and others in the world. So I want to just pause for a second. Um, we could read the Heidelberg Catechism question as well, which is a little, a little more involved. But I just want to pause for a second and, and mention that this is not strictly an outward activity, right? The hallowing of God's name is something that happens in the heart of the believer. It's not an outward action. It is. It results in outward actions, but it, it, it is, an, is an inward transformation that we hallow God in our hearts. We glorify him in our hearts. We set him apart. We, right, we set him apart in our hearts for his purposes. Okay? All right. And you'll notice that um, in the remainder of the Lord's Prayer, you don't have a request that looks like this. There isn't a request that says, hallowed be thy will, or hallowed be thy kingdom. Right? It's only hallowed be thy name. Right? Because it is because of the power and the strength and the glory of his name that all the other things are going to come to pass. His will will come to pass. Right? His kingdom right, will arrive, has arrived, and his will will be done. But all of that stems from the fact that he's the sovereign God. And he is the almighty one. And he is the one whose name is already set apart. Okay, so I hope that's clear. What is the greatest command of all, according to Jesus? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And I, I, would, I would mention to you that I think that those are the ways, the primary ways in which we hallow God's name. So, the last part of this short talk is 
How do we hallow God's name in practice? So there are many, many ways that we can do this. Uh, and I want to just mention four that I think are relevant and practical and provide you with some support, supporting scripture to make it stick a little bit. Uh, first of all, God's name is hallowed and God is glorified by his believers. In other words, God is glorified and his name is hallowed by our belief and obedience. By belief and obedience. Let me start again with a negative example. Um, in Numbers uh, 20, there is this um, situation at the waters of Mirabah. Is that how you say that? Where the people are grumbling. The people are grumbling because there isn't any water for the people or their livestock. They're complaining to Aaron and Moses. And Moses and Aaron consult the Lord. And he says, he says to them, I want you to go back to the assembly of the people. And he says, he gives this command, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And I don't know if you remember this story or not, but what does Moses do instead of speaking to the rock? He strikes the rock twice, right? Now, why would he have stricken the rock twice? He did it last time. <laughs> last time you told me to strike the rock. So instead of, in some sense, instead of obeying the Lord and doing exactly what the Lord instructed him to do, which was to speak to the rock. And listen to the phrase in, in, in verse 8. Tell the rock before their eyes. It was, it was going to be a lesson for all of the people to see that God had instructed Moses to do this and it came to pass. And instead he didn't do it. He struck the rock twice and the water came out and the people drank and the cattle drank. But look at the response of the Lord in starting in, actually only in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So God prevents Moses from being the one who leads the people into the promised land because he did not believe God and uphold his name as holy in the presence of the people. It's pretty serious, right? I mean, you didn't believe me you don't get to lead them into the promised land wow so god wants us to believe him and that's a way in which we hallow his name we believe him right okay uh in psalm 5 verse 11 let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Uh, and then, uh, sorry, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we've been going through 2 Thessalonians. Just finished that up, I guess, today. Uh, they will suffer the punishment talking about um, the false teachers and the troublemakers, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. So God is glorified in his saints and to be marveled uh, among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So 
first way that we can hallow the name of God and glorify the name of God is to believe Him and to obey Him. Does that make sense? Second, uh, God's name is hallowed in the way that we speak, in the way that we speak, in the things that we say. Exodus 27, 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And um, we had done our uh, catechism lesson during the services a few weeks back, and we talked about taking the Lord's name in vain and what that can mean uh, in lots of different ways. There are the obvious things. We don't take the Lord's name in vain and, and use the expressions that people use to curse with God's name. Um, we don't say OMG. Uh, and I would, I would argue that as a Christian, if you use the expression OMG and you type it in texts and whatnot, you're kind of at the cusp of maybe taking the Lord's name in vain. So please be careful about that. That's a, that's a very serious thing that you're doing. And I know it's silly to the world, but it's not silly to God's people. Um, Psalm 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Uh, Jack prayed that earlier at the beginning of the service. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And we also hallow the Lord's name when we proclaim the gospel, when we speak to the world about who Jesus is. In 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So we are, through the speaking of God's word, through the proclamation of the gospel to the world, we are the aroma of Christ to the world. And that brings glory to God, does it not? Even to those who are perishing. Okay. Thirdly, God's name is hallowed through our good works. I have a lot of passages of scripture here, but I won't read them all. Um, Matthew 5, verses 15 and 16. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and do what? And gl give glory to your Father who is in heaven. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We could go on. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So it's very important that as Christians, we are in fact practicing good works. And we are presenting ourselves and acting honorably uh, among those in the world. And in doing so, we bring glory to God's name. We bring honor to his name and we hallow his name. Okay. I will go on to the next one. 
Uh, God's name is hallowed through Christian unity, through Christian unity. In Psalm 34, verse 3, I, I love this psalm. Uh, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It's a, it's a call to unity and a call to corporate worship. Uh, John 17, um, in the, again in the high priestly prayer, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me uh, through their word, through the apostles' word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, and in Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are many other passages that are related to the unity of the church and how that glorifies, glorifies God's name and glorifies, glorifies Jesus Christ. So there's, there are many more ways in which we can obvious things that are, haven't really said explicitly, but in the way that we worship here corporately, um, right? in the way that we work, uh, showing ourselves to be diligent people, doing everything unto the Lord is a way in which we hallow his name and we make his name great in the world. So I hope that's, I hope that's useful. So let's quickly recap what we've talked about. The first petition is, hallowed be thy name, and it's not a declaration, and it's not a request for God to sanctify his name, which he has already done. It's a request instead for God to sanctify his name through us and in the world. And we can hallow or glorify God's name by believing and obeying him, by speaking in a way that is pleasing to him, by doing good works and acting in a way that is appropriate in the world, and by demonstrating Christian unity. So God's name, again, is not a small thing. God's name is who he is. It's his character. And to reject his name is to reject his character, and ultimately to reject him. Uh, so it's a very serious thing. Um, so I pray that this week, God would just grant us the grace that we need to glorify his name, even in difficult times and difficult struggles that we may have. Uh, just remember that in everything that we do, we're called to glorify him. And in everything that we encounter, we're called to glorify him. And even when it's rough, and I'll tell you, it's been rough for a lot of people in our church, uh, present company included, and our family. But, uh, you know, the truth is that we can still glorify him even in the hard times. So I pray that we would do that. Would you please pray with me? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for... Uh, Thank you for your name, which is, in fact, the name above all names. I pray, God, that uh, we would take seriously um, your holy name. It is, uh, it is a reflection of who you are. You are our Lord, our Savior. You are our King. And, Lord, I pray that each day we would live that way, that we would live in that understanding. I pray for God's people this week. I pray that uh, each of us would honor you with our lips, with our actions, with our thoughts, uh, with our minds. And God, help us to 
Help us to fulfill the greatest commandment. Help us to love you with everything that's in us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.